Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of the Youth Work State of Mind podcast, the podcast for anyone interested or involved with Christian youth work. Joining me for every episode is the Diocesan Youth Advisor for Blackburn Diocese, Ben. How are you doing, Ben? Yeah, not bad, mate. You? I'm good. It's a bit early in the morning. I think we'll, we're just a little bit laggy. I'm trying to think of something to banter with you today, but it's not. Other than the fact that I can see your door because you've moved your office around, which is going to mess with people's head because we're recording this before some of the, the earlier ones. I'm going to mention it later as well, just to mess with everybody. So Cool. <laughs> Well, thank, thanks. <laughs> just to play, just to play with people's brains. It'd be I great. mean, you do remember this is an audio podcast, not oh, yeah, a video I'm, one. Yeah. yeah, forgot about that. Oh. <laughs> it's that early in the morning that I've forgotten, forgot that factor. Thanks I mean, God. it's not that early. It's only like half nine. 22 um, minutes past nine, my computer tells me. That's still okay, so early in my world. So. All, the minute, all the minutes count, I suppose, isn't it? Every moment counts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still midway through my first coffee, so that's got to be either a prize or... So I think I've done well to get to this time without having one. Nick, I know one of our guests is already on at least their second because he's topped up while we've been chatting before, so... If you don't sharp, I'm going to go get another one. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate I've not been introduced yet, but, you know... Just... <laughs> that is absolutely fine. Definitely keeping that in. That was a great introduction. Well, every week we have some guests on to talk about different aspects of youth ministry and to have a bit of fun along the way. Today, our topic is called Sunday Isn't Everything. It seems like a little provocative title, but it's basically a discussion about how we go about connecting with people during the week, because being a Christian isn't just about Sundays. It's about the other six days in the week, too. So, we have some fantastic people on to talk about it. So please tell me your name, kind of what you do, who you work for. And then Ben has not told me the uh, extra question. He wants to keep that a secret. So Ben, now is your time to reveal the question. The question is this. Jaffa cake, cake or biscuit? Oh. Controversial. Is there. <laughs> well, my name's Bryony. Um, I work for Pays Movement in the UK. Um, Pays is all it's a missionary organisation. It's all about equipping the local church to advance the kingdom of God, to reach and disciple people. Um, one of the main things we do within that is um, run a gap year for um, young adults who come from all around the world to serve with us in schools and churches, um, reaching young people, discipling young people. And um, that's kind of the main focus of my role. And I absolutely love it because of what we see in the, in the year when they're with us, but also how it equips them to live missionally for the rest of their lives. Um, and Jaffa cake, cake or biscuit. I remember doing this in my law A-level. Um, it, was a, it was a case because to do with VAT, um, whether, whether it's an essential. And I can't remember if a biscuit, I can't remember which one's meant to be essential. I'm not sure biscuit is essential or cake. So I'm going to say cake because it's soft and it has the word cake in it reasoning there that seems like a very solid reasoning to me <laughs> and it was done in a law a level so well i don't remember the outcome of my a level like 18 years ago but I do, I do remember it was a case um yeah to do with vat and essential items i uh, i'm nick um i live in south east london i'm originally from yorkshire 
Uh, I work for the Church of England. Uh, uh, my, my formal job title is Programme Director for Setting God's People Free, uh, which is a bit of overreach, really, I think, in any, any form of job, job title. But it's effectively around uh, how does the Church of England get better at uh, encouraging discipleship in whole of life? Uh, and there's various different things that we're doing. Um, I'm a former youth worker. I, I will rest in that uh, former glory. Uh, and it dawned on me this morning that I used to work with Ben's dad. So I'm I'm on this call now thinking, oh, my goodness me, uh, what am I doing here? Why have you dragged me onto this podcast for uh, youth, youth work state of mind? But um, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, and Jaffa cake, cake or biscuit, I'm going to go for... <clears throat> cake too but my logic around this is that if you put a jaffa cake in a biscuit barrel it dries out so it can't be a biscuit um and also neither are cookies cookies aren't biscuits because if you put cookies in biscuit barrels they dry out so biscuits have to be dry um and desiccated in order to retain their biscuitiness so it's definitely a cake well i hope we haven't offended anybody but it, it seems like the definitive answer for uh, Jaffa cake, cake or biscuit is cake, according to the YouthWorks State of Mind. So don't at us, just take it. Hashtag win. There we go. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, it's been a pleasure joining you. Um, <laughs> uh, and that's all we have time for. Oh, I hope you that. And um, yeah, fantastic. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I want to know if Nick's got a biscuit barrel. Oh, gosh, that really did put me in a bracket, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Is it an actual barrel? Um, it is barrel shaped. Um, we've had it ages actually, um, but um, it, it comes from having small children where the only way to implicate them is by just giving them a whole tub of biscuits and saying, go watch CBeebies. Yeah. Um, but I think it's lost its drying function. It's got a little lid in it, which has a kind of bit of desiccating stuff in to keep your biscuits dry. But I think that's, I think that's gone some, somewhere in the midst of time. This is why I couldn't work out what you're saying, because our biscuits are just in like an old celebrations tub, you know, at Christmas. <laughs> and so I'm thinking they go, they don't, they don't work if, you know, if they're not in their wrapper. But now I realise it's actually a thing with a mechanism and everything. I'm going to put that on my Christmas list. Yeah, I'm sure the Church of England has branded biscuit barrels that we could sell because we're that cutting edge that, you know, we have these things. So. <laughs> no, it's actually, boxing. it's all right. It knows it's target market, I think, is the thing. <laughs> Actually, there is a theme building. When we do so good, so bad later, I'm returning to the to the theme of biscuits. It's just a little teaser for people, but oh. we'll, we'll save that one. Well, <laughs> I, I think that's as good a segue uh, as ever to uh, start <laughs> the episode. Um, and uh, so good, so bad is coming up next. So we start the episode with the return of So Good So Bad, the feature where we can share our loves and our irks about life as a Christian. Uh, remember, the, this is a safe place to share um, and there are no holds barred. So, um, uh, so who wants to start us off with their So Good So Bad suggestions? I think we're all on the edge of our seat wanting to know Nick's biscuit link though. He teed it up very well. It's yeah. Rich teed it up. Um, hey. There you go. I'll do my so good first, because this is a genuine thing, but I think one of the best things about being part of church is finding family and friends wherever you go. Um, across your town, across the country, and across the world. 
Um, and I, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, I've got some really good friends and really fortunate to have got friends in lots of different countries. But even if you go to the most random place, you can pitch up and find people who are part of a church. Um, and there's an instant bond there and an instant set of connections. And I just think that is absolutely brilliant. Um, and I don't know what I'd do without some of my international friends that I've met through conferences and, and stuff like that. So that's why one of the things I think is so good about church is that we're generally part of a worldwide family and then a diverse family here at home. My so bad, okay, now we're back onto the serious stuff. <laughs> so bad, and you started this train rolling, Ben, and there's no way that this is this is stopping, is biscuit rationing. Biscuit rationing Ooh. at the end of church is something that should be banned and dealt with with the most harsh disciplinary measures. <laughs> Telling children at the end of church you can only have one biscuit, you might as well say to them, why don't you just leave church now? I know, I know, I know you're only two and a half. You know, why wait till eight or 12 to be challenged by whether church is for you? Just go now because we don't want you because we can't be bothered to buy two packs of biscuits. We'll only buy one pack of biscuits. Biscuit rationing. It's just, it's not on. I fully agree with you on this. Does it apply to adults as well in your experience? Well, adults are even worse because adults just take the ones they want anyway. It's only the children that get rationed for biscuits. It's, it's yeah, the adults, you know, particularly the ones in the kitchen themselves. You know, don't think we've not seen you dunking away as you're serving the tea. You think there's some like backdoor dunking going on? Yeah, I think there is. It may may well be that actually you've hit on something here that is that only one pack ever makes it out of the kitchen. But there are a good number that have been consumed before they get to that point, and they have to ration based on their own inability to ration. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, I think you've spotted that. Ben Sherlock Holmes Green is on the case, and he's uncovered the uh, the mystery of the missing biscuits all over it. Yeah, I mean, church kitchens. Let's be honest. My experience of church kitchens are you put stuff in there, and stuff goes missing pretty quick. So, like, you can leave you can leave stuff in there. You think, oh, I'll just put it down. Before a youth group you go and they <laughs> put donuts down, they great. Someone else walks in, often a vicar, um, and go, Oh, there's donuts. No one's clearly using those. The normal laws of physics don't apply for church kitchens because things either disappear immediately or stay there for eternity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no happy medium between the two of you. you think, Oh, look, this cake's been here for two days, it needs to be eaten. It's either gone or there for six months onwards. I, I'm not. I'm not into that. If something's been in there for over a few days, I, I throw it away. And, and sometimes I've ended up throwing away someone else's lunch accidentally because <laughs> I didn't realise it was there just that morning. But stuff. Otherwise, like you said, it just it just congregates, and and then no one owns it. No one says it's theirs. Or I, I reckon it's a testimony to how bad their lunch looked that you binned it. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> pays 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 head office. Guys, you need to think about the the, the aesthetics of your lunch because Brian is going to be in that. Or right. just write your name on it. Or write your I, name on it. Yeah, that's a simple answer. My <laughs> lunch, please don't bin it, Brian. Thank you, smiley face. That would work. I think that would be probably a win. I'll note that if I ever have to bring lunch to your offices. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when I was at university, I found it an ideal way of protecting my food, which was to put a jar of urine by it. Um, and um, you see, Ben's almost wretched there. Because I was doing biochemistry, and we always had to do, you know, in the first term, you do this experiment with vitamin C, where you have to take vitamin C and then titrate your urine and work out how much vitamin C is in there. See, everyone's going to want to do this now. 
Um, and so you have to store it somewhere. So we stored it in the fridge. And I discovered in the first term of university that if you put a protective ring of urine around your food, no one will, no one will go there. So there you go. You could try that in the Pace fridge or church house. That would that would stop people. I'm I'm not going to do yeah. that. We're seven episodes into a You Folk Stay in Mind podcast, and the conversation has taken a turn. <laughs> <laughs> what about uh, you're so good, so bad, Brainy? Yeah, so <clears throat> so good. I'm going to start with that one as well. I would say some of the songs and some of the music being created by the church today. Um, I part of what I do within my church role is oversee our worship team, and um, so yeah, try and listen to a lot of music. Um, and yeah, I I really like some of the music and the worship coming out. So there's a song that came out last year or the year before by Hillsong called King of Kings. I don't know if you've heard it, but it lyrically I think it's brilliant. It takes you from the first Christmas through the the resurrection into the birth of the early church in like three minutes. And every time I listen to it, I'm so stirred with faith. Um, so yeah, I would say some of the music coming out of the church today, so bad, um, cheesy posters, namely Comic Sans. Oh, don't get me started on Comic Sans. Oh. And I'm really sorry to insult all three of my other podcast people, Neon, Neon posters. Neon. Do you mean that paper that you buy and then people write on it with big fat pens, that kind of style? Well, just you know, out, outside of a certain style of church. Oh yeah, okay, those certain, ones. Um, yeah, those, those neon posters. <laughs> yeah, sorry guys. I'm going to throw two really quickly, and so good, so bad. I'm going to go so bad quiche, but particularly when it's cold. Yeah, church is like particularly if you've hung around the Anglican church for any length of time, any shared meals, which I realise don't happen at the moment. I'm, su- I'm surprised that some churches haven't got a ministry where they're posting quiche through people's doors, to be honest with you. It feels <laughs> like that's missed horribly by some people quite a lot, but cold quiche particularly. It just looks like some congealed... Anyway, we're not going there. Unless you... Anyway, we won't, we won't go down that track. Um, and then the church, they're so good for me, so good, in, and I get to visit um, my parents' church sometimes in the southeast, but they have donuts on a Sunday morning. Nice. Like that's that's the way forward. Like I, I get biscuits, I totally get that. But if someone goes and shoves a donut in front of me, that's going to win. Yeah. Um. So I think churches with donuts. I do feel like my so good so bad is headed towards the hospitality of food end of life in the last couple of episodes. But it's um, <laughs> it's right. It's an important part of Christian ministry. It's food. So we've reached the part of the podcast where we delve into this week's topic, which is called Sunday Isn't Everything. It's about midweek ministry and how we do that well as a church. So let's start off our conversation with this question. Sundays, they tend to be the traditional landing spot for church services. But as we've already said, this isn't the be all and end all. Why is week-long connection with God, living out his call on our life, or whatever that looks like, important as individuals and for the church? I think this is important because fundamentally Christianity is about relationship. It's about relationship with God through Jesus Christ and therefore relationship with his family. And no relationship thrives on 
I don't know how long your church service is, three hours, two hours, an hour and a half, 25 minutes on live stream or whatever it is. No relationship thrives on that. Um, so I think this is important for individuals and um, collectively as a body, because fundamentally it's about relationship. And um, I think we've come to talk about church in terms of attendance, like going to church, whereas actually the, the going to a building is the expression of a relationship with God and with others. And that's why I think this year is, I don't want to say being good for, because I'm still like mad at coronavirus. <laughs> but I think that's what this has taught us. Like church leaders for years have said church is not the building. And this year they've realised that. As a church leader, I've realised that in new ways because the building's been taken from us. Attendance has been taken from us. So this is important because fundamentally it's about relationship and relationship thrives with quality time on an ongoing basis. I'd agree with that. I mean, I think there are lots of reasons why we've done this and we can maybe dig into them. But in our culture, we've got to a point where we've put church at the centre of our world, whereas the reality ought to be that the world is the centre of what it means to be church. So in our church activities, we always ought to be thinking about how, how does this help us to live out our faith across the whole of our lives? Where are the aspects of God's world that we're being called to serve and, and act for good in? Uh, where, are the, where are the issues of the world that we want to bring into the church to pray for those, to seek healing for those? And the whole point of being church is to remind us that we are sent to serve God's mission in God's world, that there's a world out there we're created to live in. So we've, we've, we've done some weird stuff and there are reasons for that. There are reasons why you know, we've become focused on the doing of church rather than the being of church. But at some point, we need to hit a kind of reset to say, actually, no, we need to change this. We need to, we need to see that being Christian is first and foremost about being human. You know, what does it mean to live and be in the world that God has created, that we're created to be a part of? But what does it mean to be people there who are always pointing to God's transformation in our world around us. So yeah, that that and that's why the seven day a week faith is is really important for us. And whether we meet midweek as a church, meet online uh, in the mornings, or meet physically in buildings on the Sundays, that's to help us to live out our faith across the whole of life. It reminds me of the quote from um, William Temple: "The church is the only organisation that does not exist for itself, but for those who live outside of it." And so, if we contain church to three hours inside four walls then we're limiting all the people that are not yet inside those four walls, aren't we? Um, and our purpose to to reach the world, to disciple. When we think about midweek away from church on a Sunday or whatever day it is that someone has the main service of the week, what do we tend to do well? And what do we do badly when engaging connection with God? Ben, what do you think? <laughs> The listeners can't see that he's just disappeared. Audio gag doesn't work. Um, I think one of the things that we don't do well generally is we don't help ourselves and others work out what it means to connect with God in ways that aren't just replicating what we do in church. So all the time we seem to, you know, so you might have a little small group meeting over Zoom or, you know, in, re in real life. But if you look at what's happening there, often we do the similar sorts of practices that we might be doing in a in a worship in a worship gathering and i th i think we're missing out on something here about how do, how do we get a sense of our connection to god is like breathing it's happening all the time but we're not always aware of it sometimes we become very aware of it you know if we are having exercise or if we're meditating or, or having a bit of quiet and that you know those are important aspects but most of the time it just kind of it's just kind of there so i think what we don't do well 
is I don't think we help each other notice and uh, acknowledge where God is in our everyday, and therefore we tend to we then tend to privilege those points in our week when we are deliberately noticing, and those are, those are really important parts of our week, um, but. We need to make those the engine that kind of drives a sense of God being in our everyday all of the time. Yeah, I think what I was going to identify for not so well is when things are very event driven. So they're around a certain time on a Sunday morning or a certain time on a Wednesday evening or whenever you might have small groups. Because I mean, small groups are a way of being outside of Sunday morning. But the danger is they can just, a bit like you just said, they can just be like a smaller version of Sunday morning. And they still are this container where we do our Christianity. And then we still got most of the rest of the week when it's very leader driven as well. Leadership is really important. But when we, you know, hand things to people on a plate, so people come to church on Sunday so we can tell them what the Bible means and what the Bible says, rather than actually equipping them with how do I study the Bible for myself, for example. Or like you just said, Nick, how do I um, how do I connect with God on the way to work on Friday morning? So, yeah, I think sometimes we've done people a disservice because we haven't given them the how. And I don't know about you, but when I listen to um, a preach or a sermon, I I probably only need like 20% to be inspired to do something. I then want 80% of like, this is how you do this thing. You know, like this is practically how you can go away, not just like enthusiastic about what we've just talked about, but you can practically put these things into your life and do these things and grow in this way. So for me, I think it's really around the how, equipping people, putting the how in people's hands. But I also think what I love, like what I think works well, is the stuff that just springs up relationally or I don't like this word being overused organically I I hesitated to use it because I think it is overused in our church like sometimes we'll do like just last week because we're recording in November just last week we did we took up a special offering for Christmas so that we can bless people within our community who are in need this is something we do every year and so sometimes there are things that are organized but then also we've got some um, Iranian families who are part of our church and um, just recently, like one of our life groups had just kind of adopted them and like g- given money to help them buy things that they didn't have in their house and things like that. And that wasn't organized centrally, but it just sprung up out of relationship. And that kind of generosity that I guess people had seen organized centrally just kind of flowed out into natural life. So I think that's something we have done well. And that's something I love it when we see that kind of relationship, just when you just hear stuff that's going on and you think no one organized that, like someone just did that of their own initiative out of their relationship with God and their relationship with others. There seems to be this trend over the last few years of young people not being at church on a Sunday morning or choosing to miss the main gathering. So it stands to reason that midweek seems to be the biggest opportunity to connect with young people. How do we connect with them during midweek and do that well? And then as, a, as an aside question, are we too focused on events when it comes to ministry to young people? Is there something that needs to shift within a youth ministry to help them get that connection with God all week round? Can I jump in with an answer on the final bit of the final question? Yeah. I think rather than a yes or no, the challenge comes when we have to view the purpose of the event. If the purpose of the event is to run a, an event and to run a, an event well, then yes, we're too focused on the event. But if we see the event as a tool for discipleship, then I think that's actually a really positive thing. That's a really fruitful thing. So, for example, you might have a small group of young people, you might have a youth group, which is, is a wider group of young people. 
And if you think the aim here is just to do the 45 minutes of games, get set up, do the games, make sure no kids punch each other, tell some funny stories that link to the Bible in some way, and then send them off without any drama, then I think we've missed the point. And yes, being so event focused is unhealthy in that sense. But actually, if we think this window where young people are going to come to the place where we are, whether it's in a home or, or a church building, is an opportunity to disciple young people from start to finish. So how can we engage mm-hmm. young people in our setting up? And what am I teaching them about simple things like being diligent, <laughs> simple things about the importance of detail, simple things, um, in- engaging them in our prayer before before we start viewing anything we do up front as an opportunity to disciple them. Um, how are we using small groups within that? But for me, I think it comes down to not whether we do an event or not, but it's how we view that event and how we view the purpose of the event. Is it just to tick a box and say we did youth group or is it to disciple young people either one-to-one or in small groups or as best as we can from the, a platform, so to speak? So I think that's what I would say about are we too, are we too reliant on events? I guess most people listening will be aware of the kind of, in youth ministry terms, that whole sense of the attractional model of youth ministry that that we have to do this stuff to get people to come i think we're always fighting against that as a tendency even though the shape of youth ministry moves we're always looking for that hook that's going to give us the advantage to compete with the other things that are vying for young people's attention and until we kind of break that as a fundamental attitude aspect of our of, of our practice we're always going to be doing some sort of event because we're always wanting to be kind of, you know, that's the thing that's going to draw people. It's going to be the pizza, or it's going to be this, or it's going to be that. Now, I'm not saying those things are not important. I'm just saying that that sense of how do we begin to invest of ourselves in the time and lives of the young people that we're particularly connected with. So it's as important for me to know that Cassius, one of the young people in the youth group that I'm a volunteer in, he plays football every Sunday morning. It's really important that I remember to ask him how his matches are going. It's really important that I remember to be interested in the other events and aspects of his life. And I, I totally agree with you in terms of uh, Brian, um, in terms of the the purpose of gathering. Our Christian gatherings ought to be setting a different set of practices that transform our weeks, that make a different space. So the, the Sunday, the Sunday thing. And I know, I know a church in, in the States that does one in four Sundays. They have a Sabbath Sunday. They just stopped meeting. And suddenly there was a whole life and dimension of that church that kind of came into practice. You know, people decided to start going around each other's houses and kind of connect up and talk. And, you know, it just became a kind of a new life kind of kind of emerged. So I think sometimes we have to get off the treadmill. At the base of it, I think we need to be working out where our motivation for the, for the events kind of comes from and, and trying to address that as best we can. We have a phrase within our organisation that we want to go beyond attraction to application. So beyond an attractional model. But what I like about it is it doesn't throw the attractional model out because that I think that is an important part. I know you're not saying it's not there, but we want to go beyond that. That, that can't be the finish point. That's not the full stop. To actually, how are we equipping people to apply this in their everyday lives? And obviously you've hit on some really important things about what we have to do, how we have to change the attraction in order to do that effectively but for me I find that really helpful language we want to go beyond attraction to application we're not we're not throwing attraction out but we it has to go further than that to how are we equipping people to live seven days a week yeah god for god I'd want to go beyond attraction to activism there's nothing wrong with a quality gathering I believe I believe in quality gatherings whether it is good hospitality no ban on the number of biscuits 
we need to demonstrate in our gatherings the character of God, you know, kind of generous, hospitable, open, you know, all of that. We need to have environments that are comparable to the, the types of environments that, that kids and, and, and young people inhabit and engage with. We, you know, that's all kind of written. But I, I wonder how we can not just go to the application, but how we can actually then activate, energize, animate, and see how young people themselves are part of bringing into those gatherings what their passions and interests are and where God is prompting them and using them. And I know that that is, I know that's the heart of Pay's work in, in lots of things that you do. But I think that that for me is where the life of God will become more transformational. Yeah. Thinking about the midweek kind of aspect of that is, and I think youth groups, we fall into that trap that we think, well, there's two traps. One is that we think attendance is the same as discipleship, which we touched on earlier, the discipleship of that. Um, and there was a lovely quote out there. Um, I will read it because I found it the other day and I heard it. Tim Alford said this about two weeks ago. So this is the guy who oversees uh, Limitless. But he said, he said, I think the time has come for us to admit that attendance and discipleship isn't the same thing and we need to change the scorecard. What would you and I rather have? Would you rather have a crowd of 250 show up for a, on a Friday to a program and then go home? Or would you rather have five fired up, passionate, prayerful, Bible-believing, contagious disciples who know how to share their faith and make disciples of other young people? What would we rather really have? One is more visible, but I would suggest that in the kingdom of God, the other is more valuable. And that kind of got my brain ticking over because I think there's, in the role I have, there's so many churches I go to that go, oh, should we, we want to start something for like, we've got a handful of young people, we want to start something. But do we need like lights, smoke machines, like big crowds? And I'm like, no, actually the small is really beautiful. And it's in that place that you get to do something relational and you start to set a culture within, because a lot of what we've talked about is a culture within a, a, a church, within a, within a particular church family and, and community. You get to start a culture that talks about actually how do we do life together? How do we do life with God? How do we do life together? And actually challenge each other about what that looks like in the rest of life. And I think it, it kind of breaks it down into that place. And I think, and often I end up saying to those churches, you know, you're in a really good place to start something really amazing. And they're like, what do you mean? Like we've got no young, we've got hardly any young people. I'm like, hardly any young people means that you can go deep rooted in terms of faith and discipleship. And not in like a heavy way, but like that's about life together rather than, well, hey, we've got 40 young people. What can we do with them? And I think it lends itself to go, how do we do that? How do we encourage that whole life every day with God rather than it being like, how do we do that? And it also means out of that place, as, as we've kind of said it's like how do we apply that how do we activate that how do we go beyond that because naturally you're doing that alongside each other whereas it's a lot harder to do it with 40 and there was a reason why jesus had 12 disciples then they had the 72 and then there was the five, and it, the numbers grew but actually he didn't necessarily kind of deal with everybody that wasn't a like, discipleship was but that was 12 and i think that kind of model of going actually when small happens how do we do that really well and so in some ways, I guess, the, it, it, when we've talked about that gathering aspect and those events, it's going, that's great, we can come together. But I'd almost say, like, actually, smaller groups, if you're in the position to do that and able to do it, the smaller the group, almost, the easier it is. It's not if it's one ones or twos is hard, so it's a bit intense. But sort of actually a group of five or six works really well to then do that relational aspect in a way that takes you away from the event. And if the purpose is to go, hey, we, sit, we gather and this is exciting and we and actually this fires us up and this is somewhere we gather, but there's something out that it, it kind of feeds into, as we've already said, then that's, that's a really good thing. And I was just, it was just reflecting on those, 
those those kind of little things that I think my role is so often faced by we don't have many young people I go that's amazing start with that start small dream big it's like that's the it's kind of a mantra at the moment for us (laughs) beautiful sorry I just feel like I killed that sorry about that (laughs) no it was good talking about application how do we do that have you seen any resources or have you been a part of creating any resources that would help young people and help youth workers and and church leaders to help equip and encourage young people to live out their faith each day in their context throughout the whole week? We've developed a resource around equipping people to study the Bible. So I mentioned earlier, sometimes I think there can be this mindset of I go to church on a Sunday and the leader, the vicar, the preacher tells me what the Bible says and then I'm sorted. Or or maybe like a daily reading, which I think is, is brilliant. But sometimes I, I think actually there's more for us in actually discovering the Bible for ourselves. Because when we're able to do that, we're able to then lead other people. So rather than saying, oh, I need to get my friends to church on Sunday, which is brilliant. We can actually help them discover the Bible. We can lead them in that. And so our resource is called Habarim, which is an ancient Jewish word. And our website is habarimdevotions.com. And it's it's a really simple template. It'll be familiar to people who've been involved in theology and things in the past. A really simple template that looks at a passage through four different kind of lenses, four different perspectives. So it looks at, first of all, discovering the context of the passage simple questions like who wrote this where were they when they wrote it what is some of the historical or cultural things going on that I need to understand if I'm going to understand this passage um because I think it's easy sometimes isn't it to forget that the bible wasn't written in english in 2020 or in the west so just kind of closing the gap on some of those uh, historical differences the next level looks at what are the connections between this passage and other passages of scripture and how does how does the wider voice of scripture help me understand what i'm reading the next level looks at putting yourself in the story, kind of the adding the human element into the drama of scripture, where sometimes it's easy, isn't it, to read someone's story in one chapter, their whole life in one chapter, and kind of not necessarily appreciate the up and down, the the emotions, the real, the real life element of it. And then the final one kind of involves contemplation and reflection and um, leaning in again to God. What do you want to speak to me through this? So we, we've just found it so empowering. We use it with young people. And I've had just such positive feedback from young people, youth leaders around what I was saying earlier, really putting putting a how in someone's hand. This is how you can study scripture. It's very simple, but really we found transformative. The, the biggest thing we've been working on in the last six months has been a series of stuff at, under the umbrella of Faith at Home. This was on our map anyway, we were going to do this. But first lockdown accelerated that process and needing to make needing to get things in the hands of families and and and, and young people. So there's a series of videos out on YouTube around the different themes for use in schools, for use with families with kids with younger children, families with kids with older children. And that that's the area of work that we're going to keep pushing uh, as we move into 2021. So by the time this podcast goes out, there'll be more, there'll be many more materials on that kind of faith at home website and section. And it's effectively around what we've been talking about, that faith is lived out across the whole of our lives. And in addition to the vital places of, of youth groups, small groups and church, uh, intergenerational stuff in church, that aspect of how do you share faith at home is vital. Uh, and how do you engage young people directly with kind of stuff that you might do in schools but thinking about how do you tilt some of that into youth group settings to, to really engage that sense of people's passions and interests in the world around them and where faith can be a part of that or ought to be a part of that, not a separate part of their lives. So yeah, the faith at home stuff is is the thing that I would encourage people to to, to look to look into.
I've got two things, maybe three, but the third one, I'm trying to remember what it is. The first one is from Scripture Union, which is called Rooted comes and looks like a big old curriculum but it's really not i think the, the whole premise of it is that it is approach to youth ministry so i.e is a relational approach so what the whole aim of it is is that you can build a relational youth ministry the whole thing is built on that relationship aspect and therefore it ties kind of a lot of what we said and it ties a lot together and i think that's been quite exciting seeing that because only re- was released maybe two or three years ago but it's slowly developed and i think they've got that kind of classic youth work kind of playing card type approach going on as well, where you get some good questions going on as well. So there's there's lots of things that are coming out alongside it. This is probably quite an oldie, but a goodie in the sense that the Swedish method of Bible study, which in some ways does some of what Brian was talking about in terms of what Havrimoth is, but this is kind of just essentially just a whole load of questions that coming out. How do we read the Bible? So it is, it's very similar. And there's a few people that have developed and put very nice spins on it. But it's essentially asked, like, how do we read the Bible? How do we read this passage? And how do we unpack it? How do we apply it to life? And I think that's quite exciting in terms of actually from that small group aspect. So how do we encourage to read things differently? The other one is that, is that classic playing card kind of thing. And the Youthscape have got loads, but loads of different organizations have them. But it's, it's that idea of we ask questions. I think Fusion have got some really good ones out at the moment as well, which feel a little newer than than the original Youthscape ones, but they essentially ask, we ask questions and we have that conversation about faith, about life, about all those other things. And I think anything that can inspire a question is always a good thing because it starts a dialogue and it starts relationship deep into relationship. And that's, so those would be my probably three, three go-tos at the moment. So we're nearing the end of our podcast, but before we go, we have our weekly challenge feature for our guests to take part in called Theology in 60 Seconds. The rules are very simple. Each guest have only 60 seconds to explain an aspect of the Christian faith or a Christianese term, because as Christians, we love using our special long words, don't we? Um, And they have to explain it in only 60 seconds. And to help them along the way, we have uh, a special, really off-putting, ticking timer sound effect uh, playing along in the background. My trusty sidekick. I've gone with sidekick again, Ben. (laughs) You're very much painting this Batman or Robin thing. (laughs) Well, you know, I I don't mind being called Bruce Wayne. That's fine. Ben is going to judge them based on uh, sticking to the time and how well each of our guests explains the term. This week, we would like our guests to explain the concept of holiness. Bryony has volunteered herself as tribute, I mean, to go first um, in this uh, challenge. So It's a bit like I always like standing at the front of church because I can't see how other people are worshipping. So I'm not like letting my worship be determined by other people I'm just I want to go out there get it done first and then I don't have to compare it to what brilliance Nick is going to bring so it's quite a lot of pressure 60 seconds holiness I'm just glad we already took a toilet break because if I also needed a wee (laughs) this would be too much pressure (laughs) for a Wednesday morning are you confident are you feeling uh I wouldn't say confident it's a bit like an exam where you think (laughs) it's all right it'll be over soon the the pressure is on then fair enough uh, okay, uh, your time will start in three, two, one, go. Holiness is an identity. 
The Hebrew word is Kodesh, and it means set apart, separate, sacred. It was first used to describe God to an ancient people trying to understand the concept of God in a world where the word God was an overused and muddy term, with many gods seen as dismissive at best and vindictive at worst. It means that God is different, that God is other, that God is not the same as us. He's set apart, separate and sacred. That is his identity. And because of that, it's our identity too, as his image bearers here on earth. Scripture tells us that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It's our identity, but it's also our call, our commission to be holy as he is holy. It's not not perfect and flawless, set apart by him, for him and through him. Holiness is an identity that we can live up to. Wow. Oh, gosh. Bang on the time. That is a that high is a, bar. That's bar set there. Wow. I'm just going to let the adrenaline flow through my body. <laughs> <laughs> that, that felt, that timer, that was beautiful. That was, that was, oh. yeah, something tells me you practiced that. Something tells me. Well, I scripted it because you said I could. Yeah. Um, and I've practiced it a couple of times this morning, yeah. Boom. There you go. Fine. There's, no pressure, there's absolutely no point. I, I would suggest that what we just do is just play play Brian is a second time and just <laughs> modulate the sound. You just put just it take through it down a, a few keys. Just take it down a few octaves. Because there's no way, there's no way that this diatribe is going to be any better than that. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, uh, Nick, we are still going to do yours. <laughs> can't get out of it that easy but it it, it was it's a, it's a high bar but i'm sure you can do it well you've spoken well so far so i'm sure whatever you are going to bring to us is going to be excellent okay are you ready i am brilliant the time starts in three two one go holiness what does the word mean to you I wonder if you might think of it as wholeness. Holiness is a journey towards being whole, being whole people. Most of us have things that we rely on that don't do us any good. Most of us might look to things to think, actually, if I could only do this, I could be more whole. God comes to us to transform us on a journey towards wholeness, and we find that journey through holiness. We might think that holiness is doing wholesome things. There's a list of things that are good and there are a list of things that are bad. That might be the case. But do those things move you towards wholeness? Because at the end of the day, wholesomeness isn't what holiness is all about. Holiness is about awesomeness. It's about allowing God's power and transformation to change our lives. Wow. Very wow. good. Spot on. Wow. Spot on the time. You've you've got a serious job there, Ben. Yeah. Nick really talked himself down. That was that yeah. was that was the issue there. And then just, just knocked out of the park. Boom. Very different, but very really good. different. There's like wow. fear in my eyes. I hate this bit. You I, this is the bit I genuinely dread recording these. 
I, I think Nick, as, as, I, as I say, Nick, Nick's slight, Nick really undersold his, but I, I, I still have to say, Bryony blew me out of the water. So that was it. That was fantastic. Well done. Well done. Thank you very much. Well done. Agree. Thank you. Next time, next time that Nick and I speak at church or whatever, we've got no excuse for going over 30 minutes or 20 minutes. Or <laughs> if we could yeah. do 60 That's seconds. <laughs> 60 second sermons. That's what you have to do. <laughs> Right. I, a free I can cope with the so adrenaline far. of that every week <laughs> no likewise that's all we have time for in this episode so a big thank you to our guests Bryony Baker and Nick Shepherd. you can find out more about them and the organisations they work for and all the resources we mentioned in our episode by following the links in the description don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your device so you can keep up to date with all our episodes and we'd love to hear what you think of the show. So please do rate and review it in the Apple Store or get in touch with us on Instagram at YouthWorks State of Mind. That's all for this episode. We'll see you again in only two days time for the second of our double header to finish off our first series. Thanks for listening to this episode of the YouthWork State of Mind podcast. It was a Blackburn Diocese Board of Education production. It was produced by Ben Green and David Harris with music from Purple Planet. You can listen to more of their music at purple-planet.com. Special thanks to Bryony Baker and Nick Shepherd for joining us on this episode. For more episodes and excellent YouthWork resources, visit our website bdeducation.org.uk and make sure you follow us on Instagram at YouthWorks State of Mind. Be kept up to date with YouthWork where you are.